We've got this kind of strange Sunday, really, haven't we, where it's not a Christmas program anymore, and it's not January yet, and half the church is away. And, and so we thought, okay, what should we do last Sunday of the year? Uh, it's a kind of a standalone, and, and it seems to me like Psalm 138 is actually a, a perfect passage for us to look at, and I'll, I'll explain why uh, as, as we get to it in a moment. Anyone else feel like 2018 has gone really quickly? Like a blink of the eye and the year has gone by. I suppose that's a sign that I'm getting old, isn't it? That it just time goes quicker. But what, a, what an incredibly fast year it's been. I wonder, as you reflect on it, are you thinking back about the things that were new this year or the things that were the same this year? For example, uh, some families have had new children introduced, either by birth or by fostering uh, this year. That, that's kind of major, major change. Maybe your children have gone to not just a new year of school, but a new school. That can be a a very significant change that takes place. Maybe you've taken a new job or had a a new role uh, at work, and that's felt like a significant shift. Maybe even a whole new town or just a a new house within the same town. We had a a move just a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? So there's all sorts of possibilities of things that can be new. And I've kind of picked on the... I suppose, the more positive ones. But then there's the new challenges, new health concerns, new financial struggles, maybe uh, new parenting challenges. For those of us that are parents, we kind of get used to that. You know, every few weeks there's a new challenge, right? But then as well as the new things, there are also the same things. The same people, the same jobs, the same routines, the same... Uh, every day cleaning the same mess, the, the same kind of uh, rhythms of life that are there this year like they were last year. Maybe the same challenges in parenting. Maybe the same struggles in your marriage. Maybe the same struggles with yourself. Maybe you would have thought that by the end of 2018, you wouldn't be doing that anymore, or you wouldn't be thinking that anymore, or you wouldn't be struggling with that anymore. And here we are, end of 2018, and some things are new and some things are the same, and here we are. How do we come to the end of the year and kind of mark it? How do we, uh, if you like, uh, honor God and, and sort of honor the year that He's given us before we just slide straight into the next one starting, when's that? Tuesday. <laughs> Because if we're not careful, time can just slide past us. And before we know it, it's going to be 2024 or whatever. And and we'll think, what happened? I I blinked and I missed something. And so how do we mark the end of the year? I think Psalm 138 is a passage that enables us to do that. It's a passage that looks backwards. It's a passage that looks forwards. And it's a passage that also looks outwards, a passage that looks upwards. It's a passage that helps us to kind of uh, make a mark in the ground and say, yeah, I'm not letting this moment slip by. I'm going to to mark it in some way. Psalm 138 is a psalm of David. So uh, if you can think of King David about a thousand years before Jesus, king of Israel, I don't know when he wrote this psalm within his life, but it seems to me like maybe he was the king. He was kind of in his position of authority and power, and he seems to be making some sort of thank offering to God. Uh, It could have been literally at the tabernacle, stood outside of it, bringing an offering to God. It could have been somewhere else as he was just 
just reflecting and bringing gratitude to God. But the, the thing I want us to notice is that he deliberately does that. He deliberately says thank you. Before we look at the psalm, I, I just want to point out how significant it is to say thank you. At the start of the book of Romans in the New Testament, Paul is writing about the world around. Not, not believers in God, but, but everybody else. And he's writing about how uh, they are without excuse in that God's power, his eternal power, his divine nature has been clearly seen through everything that, that has been made. But then it says they did not honor God as God. They did not honor him as God, nor did they give thanks to him. But instead, they they kind of turned their backs on God. They drifted from him and they gave themselves to images of birds and reptiles and other things. It's a, a description of a society that is drifting and sliding away from God. And it's interesting that in the midst of that, Paul says they did not give thanks to God. I wonder if we think about that, that giving thanks to God is actually a very significant thing for us to do. It's something that inclines our hearts towards him. It's something that leans us towards him to say, no, thank you. I want to say thank you for who you are and for what you've done. Because if we don't do that, and if we let time just slide on by, and weeks become months, and months become years, and years become decades, if we don't give thanks to God, then the danger is that our eyes drop from him and focus in on our little world. And we can start to focus in on our lives, our preferences, our, uh, you know, kind of dreams and ambitions and so on. And before we know it, we can be drifting far away from where God wants us to be. And so we need to do the opposite of what it says in Romans 1. We want to honor God as God and we want to give him thanks rather than drifting in our thinking and in our lives, in our lifestyles away from him. So Psalm 138, the first three verses, David giving thanks to God. Let me read them to us again. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love And your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. David is giving thanks to God. I love the the phrase he uses there in verse 1. He says, "I, I give thanks to God with my whole heart. I wonder if you've seen any, uh, any thanksgiving not, you know, an American feast, but, but giving of thanks. I wonder if you've uh, seen any people giving thanks this week with less than a whole heart. Possible, right? Christmas morning, the ripping of the wrapping paper, and then the parents with the awkward kind of stare, and then the gesture, and then the nod, and the kind of, you know, the stares that only mums can give, uh, and maybe, you know, hand signals, sign language, whatever you've got, and eventually... <clears throat> could, could you please say thank you for that gift? <laughs> and then there's the awkward giver over in the corner and the child just kind of uh, looking at the toy, says thanks and carries on with the toy. That's not wholehearted, right? That's, that's maybe understandable. Children are sinners after all, right? But, but I give thanks with my whole heart. 
That's where the, the present is opened and the person is delighted by the gift and they look to the giver and they just can't help themselves. But they go over to the giver and, and give a huge hug and say, thank you so much. And a, a real squeeze. That's a wholehearted thanks. Right. And that's what David seems to be saying here. I give thanks to God, not as a token, not as a duty, not as a religious thing. Thank you, Lord. But with my whole heart. Like, I throw myself around him and squeeze and say, thank you, Lord. I wonder if that's the way we give thanks. I think it would be if we realize just how much God does for us. For David, he says, I give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. And then he's got this curious phrase, before the gods. What is going on there? Before the gods, I sing your praise. Remember that... In David's world, you've got all these nations, and every nation has its own set of gods. And everything in the newspapers, every battle, every war is this nation with its gods against this nation with its gods. And it's kind of like, uh, as people have called it, the playground of the gods. That was kind of the, the world that David lived in. And I wonder if what he means here is that as he stands before Yahweh, before the God of Israel, the God who created everything, I wonder if, if David is, is just recognizing before all of the other so-called gods, I'm giving you thanks. They're nothing. You're everything. And so here's David with his whole heart giving thanks to God. Verse 2 tells us, why? Actually, verses 2 and 3. Verse 2 tells us that he gives thanks to God because of God's character. It's interesting. He uses a phrase in this verse that if you've been around the Bible for a while, you start to kind of have it jumping off the page. It says at the, uh, at the middle of the verse, give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Steadfast love and faithfulness that that is it's kind of it's hard to argue i think with this that is the big phrase of the old testament when you read through the hebrew bible from genesis through to malachi if you read it a few times you'll start to recognize god's steadfast love is emphasized it's there hundreds of times it's, it's a word that kind of is like a, an expanding box of, of goodness. It's like you, you bring into it all of the, the ideas of God's love and God's kindness and God's grace and God's mercy and God's selflessness. And you push it all into one word. And that word is steadfast love. And then quite a number of times, the writers of the, the Old Testament add faithfulness. It's like the one word with all of the weight of the goodness of God in it is not quite enough. And they want to reinforce it with another word just to drive it home. It's, it's kind of like God's loyal love. Loyal. <laughs> it's God's loyal love, steadfast love, his love that endures and his love that keeps giving. And it's a love that keeps on giving. You see, the second word faithfulness is just reinforcing the first one. It's a, a, a figure of speech, really. It's kind of a, a one through two is the technical term they use for it. It's one idea driven home by two words, that God is a God of love, the kind of steadfast, loyal, covenant-keeping, promise-making, promise-keeping kind of love. And he keeps on being that forever. 
And David is praising God for that. He's recognizing that the character of his God is that his God is the steadfast, loving, faithful God. That's our God too. And so David can look back and he can think about God's steadfast, faithful love for him. By the way, that phrase, steadfast love and faithfulness, is translated in the New Testament, grace and truth. Maybe you've come across that phrase at the start of uh, John's Gospel, where it talks about the fact that Jesus, God, the, uh, the Word of God, became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And he who was at the Father's side has revealed the Father to us because he was full of grace and truth. That's New Testament language for steadfast love and faithfulness it's not talking about a balancing of grace but true it's no it's truthfulness in the sense it's true in the sense of faithful of ongoing of enduring god is the god of grace and he will be forever true to who he is he's the god of grace and truth the god of steadfast love and faithfulness and so david said you've exalted above all things your name and your word. That, that's that's kind of like saying, okay, the name of God and the word of God. Those are the two labels that I can put on the character of God. I had a friend who, who used to say that the name is like a, a handle on a drawer. And when you pull on the name, you get everything that that person is. And so the name of God is all of his character, all of his goodness, all of his kindness, all that he is. And he's saying, okay, your name, it's above everything. And your word, what you say, it's above everything. David is looking at God. He's thinking about God and he's saying, I've got to give him thanks. Because his character is so incredibly good. But he doesn't just say verse 2. He also adds verse 3. He's giving thanks to God for God's character. He's recognizing the God that he's talking about and the God that he's talking to, but he also wants to clarify that this isn't just a God who is conceptually wonderful. He also wants to recognize that this is a God who works in his life. Like we just shared, some of the things that were were just shared before we started into the message. Not just isn't God great, but God's good to me. God is kind to me when I forget to check the passport expiry date. God is kind to me when I'm in a vulnerable situation. God is kind to me when I cry out to him in prayer. And so in verse 3, he says, On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. I wonder, how many times in the past year have you called out to God? And he's answered. It could be many times and it could be that you've forgotten most of them because often we don't cry out in the midst of the great crisis. Thankfully, they're not happening all the time, but sometimes, sometimes it's just the little moments, isn't it? I've lost count of the number of nights where Melanie and I have been talking in the middle of the night because there's a child that's not well and they're not sleeping and we've done everything and if we put any more medication inside that child, something strange is going to happen and we've kind of run out of options and we're absolutely wiped out and we're tired and the next day there's this thing and how are we going to get through it and, and so many times we've prayed and said, Lord, you know, you know where we are, you know what's going on, you know what the germ is in that child, 
You know the struggle that we're feeling. And Lord, we just pray that you'd get us through tonight and somehow give us strength for tomorrow. I can't remember how many times we've prayed that, but I can remember that we've never failed to make it through the next day. I can remember that God has strengthened us when we felt like there's no chance. That God has helped us at the times where a migraine was certain, but it didn't come. I wonder what it is for you, the the way that God is involved in your life, the way that you call out to him and he answers. Well, David is is here as an example to us. He's saying, look, I'm not going to let this pass by. I've got to give thanks to God for who he is and for what he does. Because who he is, his steadfast love and faithfulness is pointed towards me. And he works in my life. And I hope that that's what all of us could say. As we come to the end of the year to look back and say, God's goodness has been shown to me. He's answered prayers that I can't even remember praying. Or maybe he hasn't yet answered prayers, but I've prayed them and I'm trusting. But God is a God who is faithful, a God who is good, a God who can be trusted. At this point, it's almost like as David is stood there, I can imagine him literally standing before the, uh, the, the, the tabernacle, the temple, uh, and worshipping God and giving God thanks and giving God praise, that suddenly he feels like his voice is just not enough. You ever feel like that? Like you're, you want to worship God and you cannot generate enough volume or enough melody or enough something. And, and you feel like your voice is so puny because God is so great. And all all that you can say sounds so flimsy. And so David says in verse 4, All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. That would be a choir. All these kings with all their gods and all their, you know, kind of doing things their way and ignoring God. David's looking forward and saying, one day everybody... One day, everybody, all the kings, all the people are going to bow the knee and they're going to give thanks to God and they're going to, they're going to honor him as God. And that's, that's kind of the, the choir that there should be instead of just the, the choir that I can generate as I pray in the shower or whatever it is. David's going, wow, this is what God deserves. And one day, this is what God will receive. They shall sing the ways of the Lord for great is the glory of the Lord. Notice the, the scope of the worship there. All the kings of the earth. I wonder, has God been so good to us this year that if we caught a glimpse of it, the response of our hearts would be the whole world needs to know this God? Because that would be the right response, wouldn't it? If we really had eyes to see the character of God and his care for us in every moment of every day, then we would just be boiling over with the desire for the entire planet to recognize him for who he is. To recognize the greatness of the glory of the Lord. But notice too in these verses here, 4, 5, and 6, when David comes to the glory of the Lord... He adds something that that is a little hint of something that is a big theme in the Bible. And that is that the glory of God has a certain peculiar quality. He he talks about the, the greatness of the glory of the Lord. 
And I suppose that when we see the, the phrase great glory, we tend to think power and, you know, impressiveness and, and strength. And that, that's sort of the image that comes to mind. But often what you find as you go through the Bible is that when the glory of God is described, when the glory of God is presented, often within the context, there's a hint that this is not just a glory like the other kings in the world or like other gods might come up with. This isn't just a power display. This isn't just a everybody stand back, I'm entering the room kind of a glory. Now, the glory of God, John Piper wrote a book, he called it a peculiar glory. And he says there's a peculiar quality to the glory of God. And I think he's absolutely spot on. That when you look at the power and the strength and the majesty and the, the wonder of who God is, you can't help but notice this thread all the way through scripture. This, this kind of unique ribbon of an idea that constantly comes through. And that is that God's glory is humble. That God's glory cares. That God's glory is not just a, a kind of an impressive showing off thing. But it's, a, it, it, it's something that is reaching down to us. I suppose there's a classic example in Revelation. Revelation chapter 5, where John has got this vision of of Christ and of heaven and of the future and of everything. And and in Revelation 5, there's this moment in the the chapter where he's weeping and and there's this scroll and there's uh, kind of this voice speaking and there's no one worthy to undo the the seals on the scroll. And John's like, what's going on? Who can do this? We're in trouble. And then he's told that the lion of the tribe of Judah has done it. The lion of the tribe of Judah. It sounds like Aslan, doesn't it? And he he turns expecting to kind of get the roar of Aslan. And what does he see? He sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain. That's the peculiar glory of our God. He's powerful. And yet he humbles himself for us. Here in verse 6, David says, Great is the glory of the Lord for... Though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty, the proud, he knows from afar. So that's just a hint of it there. He's saying, look, even though the Lord is high and exalted and above all and on the throne, his eye is on the weak and the broken and the humble. That's a great thought, isn't it? Even though he is high sitting on his throne, surveying all that is. He notices when your passport has expired and you're panicking. Even though he's on the throne, he notices when your child's not sleeping and you've run out of ideas. Even though he is on the throne, he notices when someone has said something and you feel bruised on the inside and you haven't let it show on your face, but you're hurting inside. He knows because that's the kind of God that he is. He's a God who is high and exalted, and yet he regards the lowly. In another psalm, one of my favorite psalms, 113, it kind of has the same thought, but it takes it further. It says that God, even though he is high and exalted, who is there like our God? He's high and he's exalted above everything, and yet he humbles himself to look down on the lowly and the weak. He humbles himself. That's how we make sense of the lion of the tribe of Judah looking like a lamb. 
that had been slain because the way we ultimately know God and David could only anticipate this the way we ultimately know God is that even though he was at the very peak of celestial power he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but he came and he became one of us and Jesus the son of God went all the way to the cross and died the most humiliating death, not by accident, but on purpose for us. Why? Because that's the kind of God that we have. A God whose glory is great. He regards the lowly. And so here's David coming to to the Lord and saying, okay, Lord, I want to give you thanks. I've got to give you thanks because of your character, because of your care for me. I want the whole world to give you praise and to give you thanks. Because your glory is great, that glory that cares for the nobody in the nothing circumstance. With the fears and the doubts and the struggles and the uncertainties, you're a God who cares. And so I want to say thank you for that. And so there's the looking back, but what about looking forward? I don't know what 2019 holds for any of us. But I suspect it isn't going to be just perfect. If, if history is anything to go by and if the Bible is right, then in this world we will have trouble, right? We, we will have difficult circumstances. We will probably face new things that we've never faced before. And we're almost certainly going to face some of the same things that we faced this year. Some of the same struggles, some of the same doubts, some of the same weaknesses and, and failures and, and temptations. We're, we're going into a year where we don't know what's coming, but we kind of know what's coming. And so how do we do that? Look at verse 7. David says, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. David's got a confidence Even though he knows that he is walking in the midst of trouble, even though he knows that utopia is not starting on Tuesday, David is able to move forward into the future with a confidence. And that confidence comes from what? It comes from the character of God. It comes from what he's already said. It comes from the fact that our gloriously good God is a gloriously loving God. A God who, though high, looks down on the lowly. A God whose character, whose name, whose word, whose entire being is wrapped up in the reality of the fact that this is the God of steadfast love and faithfulness. And so David can say, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. We can be confident of that. I can't promise you that you'll even make it through next year. I don't know the future. But what I do know is that God has a purpose and a plan and that purpose can be trusted. And so we can all go into the year with absolute confidence. If we've trusted in Jesus, if we're trusting God, loving him, we can go forward with a confidence, not in ourselves, but in his character, that he will fulfill his purpose in me. He will fulfill his purpose in you. Whatever the new challenge is, whatever the same challenges might be, he will fulfill his purpose. 
Why? Because of what he says next. Your steadfast love, O Lord. It comes back to it. Your steadfast love, O Lord. And then he usually, usually often adds a, a word to kind of reinforce that and to drive it home. And he does it here. Different words, same reinforcement. Your steadfast love, O Lord, it endures forever. It's endured till now and it will endure as we move forward. Your steadfast love, O Lord, guarantees that you will fulfill your purpose in my life. Isn't that an incredible thing for us to carry with us out of one year and into another? No false promises, no kind of easy hopes that somehow, you know, we're going to win some kind of heavenly lottery and everything's going to be easy and we won't need to work and we won't have any more illness and children will sleep through the night and, you know, fevers will be a thing of the past and there'll be no death and no dying and all of that stuff. That's not what's before us in the immediate future. But what is before us every single day when we climb out of bed is God's steadfast love, his faithfulness, the enduring nature of his goodness toward us. And because he regards us in our weakest moments, in the the puniness of, of who we are, because he regards us, we can look with confidence and say, Lord, don't forsake the work of your hands. Follow through. Do what it is you want to do in me and in us in this coming year. Let me encourage you over the next couple of days as as the kind of year end sweeps by and the new year begins and the fireworks and the streamers and all 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 the kind of festivities, take a moment at some point. You don't need to gather a huge choir. You don't need to get all the kings of the earth, you know, to kind of have a summit at your house. Don't worry about that. Just take a moment, maybe look over Psalm 138, but, but take a moment to mark the end of 2018. Maybe look back and say, Lord, th- these are the things I can remember. It might take you a minute. It might take you 10 minutes. I guarantee you probably haven't got a memory that will keep you going for hours unless you've kept a journal. But take a few moments and just reflect on the past year and come to God and give him thanks. Thank him for a steadfast love that's been faithful to you every single day. All the things that you don't even know that he's done for you, all the ways he's protected you that you have no idea about. Give him thanks. It's the right thing to do. And then tell him that you trust him. Tell him that the next year is coming and and you don't know what the future holds, but you know who holds the future and you know that he can be trusted. And maybe use these last lines of Psalm 138 to express your confidence, not in yourself, not even in your church or your circumstances, your family, nothing like that, but simply your confidence in God. 2019 is part of his plan. He's got it. He's got you. Let's go.